So we people often complain to God about him really being fair to us. The thing is, we use our standard of equity. And then we uh, question him only when it seems unfair to us, right? In other words, our default position or the way God has to deal with us, the default the starting point is that, that we are in a state of bliss and prosperity. That's how we, that, that's our starting point. All of us should be blessed, uh, you know, just enjoy this life, you know, without any hiccups and any sufferings in life. When that, that does not happen, then that we complain to God. When it's not happening and when suffering strikes us, then and only then we question God about him being fair to us. Right? For example, Ukraine crisis, what's happening in Ukraine is, is, uh, is tragic, right? Now, when, it come, when we uh, hear the news, right, we don't complain to God about being unfair, right? Because in the end, it really doesn't affect us when there are Ukrainians that are just dying and suffering, fleeing their homes. They'll never go back there, right? We feel bad, but we don't say, God, it's not fair, right? For equity, we, none of us would say for equity's sake, right? We all should participate in their suffering. We should be fair, God. And so we should all suffer just like the Ukrainians, we don't do that. But, and then we can question God. It's not fair. Why is there suffering for them? That's not fair, God. Right? So when we, our default position is always, you know, we should be really treated well. Right? Everything should be good for us without any troubles. We are up in arms only when we are having trouble in our lives. When it really affects us. Then we accuse God or question God of him being fair. God has revealed his will to us all and will judge us according to the standard that has been revealed to them. All creatures can be assured that God will judge them according to the strictest standards of justice and fairness. So as we study uh, God as our ultimate judge, there are two aspects that I would like us to consider. And the first point is God's righteousness as the judge. Yeah, God's righteousness as the judge. God is morally right in judging everyone. We all are accountable to him. Now I talked about before that God is our creator. He created us. And that means that we are uh, accountable to him. And God is our lawgiver. So therefore, he has every right to judge us as a righteous God. You know, what we have to understand is that God's judgment of men is not unwarranted or it's cruel. That's something that we have to understand. I know people raise questions, how can a loving God send people to hell? That's just not, that doesn't sound right. It's not right 
that God would send people to hell. But you see, if you just stop and think about uh, this matter, right, we have to understand that God's judgment is an inevitable consequence of the, the holy and righteous character of God. It's inevitable. If God is holy, if God is righteous, then it is inevitable, inevitable for God to be our judge. And also, it is a necessary part of his government. It is God who rules us. And it is necessary for him to judge his creation. A God who would forego uh, judging wickedness would not be good or righteous. A creation where wickedness was unrestrained or was not yet restrained and judged would soon self-destruct. Can you imagine a judge who releases a serial killer or a pedophile without any punishment for his crime? Would we say that, wow, he did a good job, right? He's a just judge. Justice was served when he just lets him go for his crime. Would he be a just judge? Can there be an equi uh, uh, equity, uh, equitable society when there are no consequences to the evil done? Can we say that justice is served? God's judgment is necessary part of his government. And his judgments will always be perfect and impartial. No one will be able to ever raise objections or accuse God of being unfair on the day of judgment because he will absolutely be just in his judgments. You know, so when we talk about him being our supreme judge, there is this one troubling question right, that we have to address. It is this. How can God judge every man according to his law, when there are so many people who have never had a chance to know the law. They never had access to the Bible. So, I mean, it is understandable for God to judge people who had, who had access to the Bible, who had a Bible in their hands, or they, they could just search it online or whatever, but that they chose to defy God, disobey God. Yeah, that, that part, totally understandable. But... How can he justly condemn those who, those who have lived and died without scriptures? They never had a chance. They had no knowledge of God. They never had a Bible. Say, first century people, people who are outside of that region, people in Africa, Asia, North America, what have you. How can God judge them when they had no access to the Bible? Is that really fair? When I was young, when a question like that was raised, the only explanation that I got to that question is basically something like, you know, at that time, the Bible, Sunday school uh, leaders or the pastors or, and, and, you know, the authority figure, they would just tell me, right? Um, good question, but it's uh, none of your concern, right? Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, don't worry about these people, right? If you have time to worry about them, why don't you get busy evangelizing? 
right? That just, don't worry about it, right? That was basically the explanation that I got about questions like, so, you know, like, I was like, I mean, what do you say to that, right? I mean, it's not my concern, so I'm like, okay, it's not my business, I guess, and um, so, but then they would always emphasize, so, right now, you are responsible for your own generation, the people in your sphere of influence, and the people that you come in contact with, so focus on just, you know, being a witness to them, right? Don't worry about them, right? That was just about the only thing that I heard but there was always that question mark. Yeah, how, what, how can God judge those people who never heard the gospel? Right? Now, the scriptures tell us that God has revealed his unchanging moral standard to humanity in two distinct ways. First one is obviously that God has revealed in great detail about his will and his law through the scriptures. So there are, God has revealed his law and his word to some men through the scriptures. Second, God has revealed his will to all men in a general way through the law that he has written on the hearts of men. So all mankind can be divided into two distinct groups, those who have sinned without the law and those who have sinned under the law. So Romans chapter 2 verse 12 says this, uh, can we, so can we do the, yeah. For all, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, right? There are two kinds of people, right? So in, but in either case, what Scripture tells us is that God's revelation was sufficient, to cause all men everywhere to be without excuse on the day of judgment. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, people, they know, and yet they suppress the truth. Verse 19 For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, this does not mean that everyone, all men, know everything that can be known about God. No. Or that uh, that the degree of revelation was the same as people who actually had a privilege of knowing the scriptures. No, that's not what it's saying. But there has been a sufficient revelation about who God is to everyone, right? That they cannot be without excuse for their sins on the day of judgment. You cannot plead ignorance. Before God, oh, I didn't know about it, right? Those who had the scriptures will be judged according to the scriptures. And those who had only the law written on their hearts will be judged according, uh, according to the revelation of the law in their hearts. Each man will be judged according to the light 
that he has received. So then what does it mean, the law written on their heart? See, first we have to realize the knowledge of God is first demonstrated through the works of creation. Psalm uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The day, uh, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So this whole creation speaks to all of us deep inside that there is a God who created this marvelous world, right? But not only that, uh, when we look at the, the creation, this created world, it testifies to, to the existence of the creator, but also that God himself has Im, uh, imprinted this knowledge upon the very heart of man. Not only this, uh, the creation, but God has already imprinted this truth that there is a God in everyone's heart. It's imprinted in all of us. The universe that God has made proves his existence, but this proof is simply a confirmation of what we already know deep in our hearts. Because deep in our hearts, even without realizing the, the creation, every one of us knows, even the non-Christians knows deep down in their hearts that there is a God. Why do people say, oh, I don't believe in God. There is no such God. It's our sinfulness, our unrighteousness suppresses the truth. He said, no, there is no God. Okay, I am my own. There is nobody who's going to tell me what to do in my life. People have simply chosen to suppress the truth that God has impl uh, implanted, imprinted, imprinted. It is written in our hearts, that there is a God. And that's what the scriptures tell us. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So even in pagan cultures, or where there's godless society, there were morals and standards that agreed with the law. Things like, uh, you know, speak the truth. Every culture, right, emphasizes that. Hey, honor your parents, be good, and respect your elderly. Hey, do not kill, do not steal. Is there a culture that says, hey, go ahead and kill people if you wish, and there are no consequences. Hey, steal all you want. There is no culture that would teach that, even though there is no God in them. You see, so that every culture, there are set of morals and standards that agree with the law of God. 
This is a proof that God has written, or God has imprinted his law on their very hearts and minds. Even without any mention of God, there is that in every culture. So it is a law to themselves, these things. So even though it's not as specific as the law of Scripture, it's still sufficient to guide them. Therefore, everyone will be held accountable for their sin on the day of judgment. Also, you know, as it says in uh, verse 15, their, consci- uh, their conscience bears witness, right? Your conscience is a moral sense of right and wrong, right? Um, and, um, and, that, and, that, and that also rightly accuses uh, the person when you are doing something wrong. Right? When you are lying, right, we, we feel uh, there's a little bit of the, the sense of guilt right? when we lie, when we steal. I remember when I was in elementary school, I, I cheated you know, on the exam. And you know, when I was cheating, right, uh, I, I was, my heartbeat was just pounding because I was cheating. That was not right. That's what that's the, the conscience that tells me that I'm doing something that is not right. So even on that day, the, our conscience also bears witness. If you are without the law, your conscience will also bear witness. And this conscience can be rejected until it no longer functions as a moral compass. You know, your heart is so hardened that you are not bothered by your conscience. Sometimes, some people, it gets to that point, and it's a scary thing. For example, Putin, what he's doing, right? Sorry, I'm just like zoning on, 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 on Ukraine and what, whatever. But do you think he really had the conscience of what's going on, an unprovoked war that he started in Ukraine? Do you think he has that, that conscience? Probably not. He's more interested about just maintaining his power, right? It's a scary thing. And Paul describes that state of even just consciously not being bothered by the wrong that, that you do. Is that he says that uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2, it says that conscience is seared, right? So uh, when we talk about God being our judge, right? This righteousness of God, God being right, morally right, right? That's something that we have to understand. And we have to also be reminded of his omniscience. His omniscience. It means that he possesses perfect knowledge of everything without having to search out. He doesn't have to Google. And um, he doesn't have to discover, he doesn't need to discover the facts. Oh, I didn't know about that. I have to just dig deep into it. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing exists outside of the reach of his knowledge. Every creature, every word, every deed, every thought, even our intentions and motivations that no one will will find out. Motives are like an open book before him. And omniscience of God, it's not just about his knowledge, because I think that's what most people think. When we uh, think about God's omniscience, we think, oh, yeah, God knows it all, right? God has all the knowledge, uh, has all the facts. But when we talk about God being omniscient, right, it also refers to his interpretation. Interpretation. 
for us finite humans, having all the facts is simply not enough to claim that we know it or we have the knowledge. Why? Because we are susceptible to misinterpretation. I think I said this before. I was asking Grace if I could share this and say, yeah, you already talked about this. But, you know, just so, you know, when we were dating, right? So uh, when we were kind of just exploring whether, you know, it, you know, just will this go to the next level, right? And so I was like, you know, the few times that we met, I was like, she's fine and she's mine, right? And so I, I was kind of, you know, I, I asked her, hey, I'd like to take this to, I don't want to simply date around, right? Uh, I want to take this to the next level, be really serious about it, right? And maybe I think it's because I was, uh, you know, insecure, and maybe because maybe some of the, the, the rejections that I have, I've got in the past. So when I asked her, you know, I was like so nervous, right? But I asked her uh, to just let's go, you know, next, take this relationship to the next level, not just simply like exploring and dating, and this was what she said, something to the effect of, I don't know exactly what she said, but she said, let's take it to the next level. Uh, and she said, let's take it slow, right? She said what she said, and I heard what she said, right? But my interpretation at the time was, you know how like sometimes, um, you know, it's not you, it's me, in a kind of way of rejecting people, right? Because like, you don't want to be really mean to that person. So it's like, you know, I, uh, maybe something is going on in my life. Or, or So I thought that she was saying, she was rejecting me, but she was just saying it in a nice way. Let's just take it, I was like, let's take it to the next level. And she's like, whoa, whoa, slow down, you know, cowboy. It's just, we're gonna, you know, let's just take this slow. Like, give me space. I need space, right? I need some distance from you. That's how I interpreted it. Even though what she meant was, uh, yes, let's take it to the next level, but, you know, let's, let's kind of, let's not rush into this thing. But obviously, she didn't really explain all that, and I didn't. So, so she, all she said is, let's just take it slow, and I was crushed, because I thought she re- rejected me, right? So we, we, we had the same fact, right? She said what she said, I heard what she said, but my interpretation of what she said was different from what she really meant to say. You see, because we are finite and we are so limited, even though we may have the facts, right? But that does not mean that we know it, we we truly know it, not with God. Not only does he know all the facts, but he also interprets them with absolutely perfect wisdom and truthfulness. There is not, there is never the slightest difference between God's knowledge and reality. There's no, not slightest like, difference. But for us, oftentimes, there's a gap between our knowledge, what, whatever the knowledge that we have, and uh, the true reality. Because it kind of, sometimes it depends on the angle that we take. Like my angle at the time, because where I was coming from at the time, was, you know, it made me interpret it in a, in a way that was not really the reality. You see, we all come to the reality with our own sunglasses that are colored from our background, what, where we came from, the experiences that we, we had, the issues that we have in our lives, the way we are wired, kind of we interpret them in different ways. So even though we may look at the same event, but we come to different conclusions, 
right? Uh, husbands and wives, it's, it's happened. Or even people who are in dating relationship, right? You may just agree on the event or what was said, but how you interpret, how you take that, what spin you put on that will make you say you disagree or get into like this conflict. The omniscience of God not only proves that he is worthy to judge his creation, but it also guarantees that his judgments will always be perfect. He will always judge according to his perfect knowledge of all the facts. So we can rest assured because he's righteous, because he's omniscient. And the second point, uh, quickly, is uh, the day of judgment. You know, uh, some people in this world, they have this cyclical worldview, right? If you believe in, like, reincarnation or something, that there is no end and there is no, uh, there is no beginning, there is no end. But Christian worldview and what the Bible teaches us is linear, especially when it comes to human history. There is a beginning and there is an end, and there is no more. Make no mistake, the day of reckoning is coming. In the main passage that we read, right, verse 11 says, heaven and earth were fully away from God and no place will be found for them. God is so awesome and overwhelming that all of creation cannot stand in his presence. How much less can man stand before the almighty God? And also it means that this present world and its treasures are passing away. And on the day of judgment, it will be of no significance. All the things that we marvel at in this world, look at the Grand Canyon, the pyramids of people, the Great Wall, whatever, right? Whatever that we marvel at in this world, it will be like a simple blip. It's like a little blip before God on the day of judgment. And in verses 12 and 13, in Revelation chapter 20, it says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Right? And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Right? It describes on that last day, on the day of judgment. Um, on, the, on the day of judgment, the dead will rise and they will be judged. Just like the living, according to what they have done. I mean, Hades is probably like the, the grave, or it can be the abode of the, of the dead. Um, and what is basically the, the point is, is that men will find no hiding place. Even in the deepest sea, you, you're, there was a ship and you just felt maybe to the deepest, I don't, you know, I hear like the, where the depth of the, the bottom of the sea is like really so much deeper, right, than Mount Everest or whatever. Even if you fell into that, the dead will rise. Man has no hiding place. In the deepest sea, the darkest uh, tomb, or the lowest part of hell, 
there is no place to hide. Everyone will stand before God on the day of judgment. Non-Christians think that death is the end. It's over. You're dead. You're dead. It's over. Your life is over. That's the end of your life. And so they put, you know, the rest in peace, right? They put that, uh, that on there. People say, not so fast. Everyone who has ever walked on the face of the earth will be called up to stand before God on that awesome day of judgment. Every one of us, no exceptions. And how will we be judged? According to our deeds, as verses 12 and 13 says, there is a books that were open. And these books record, recorded everything that we have ever done, right? Before the throne of God. Maybe there's a film of our life that will be played before him and nothing will be hidden. Can you imagine? You watch your life flash before you. Everything, every single detail is played out before God. And there is no, there is no boop, you know, like cut out edited version there. It's unedited version of our life being played before him and he sees it all. The things that we've done in secret, things that no one else knows about, they will all will be they, they all will be revealed. And we all will be judged according to what we have done. And the only ones who will be saved on that dreadful day are those whose names have been written in the book of life. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, someone who has trusted in his work of salvation. Only those people, only that, so in the end, that's the only thing that really matters in life. It's not what you have accomplished in this life, how much money you have in your 401k. It is, is your life written in the book of life? Have you trusted Christ? It's not how often you came to church, how often you've attended small group, or what kind of volunteer work you have done in your community. What matters is, is your life written in the book of life? So what are the implications? Trust in Christ and believe that he is there. He has, uh, he's, he's offering you the salvation. What we have to realize is that we are imperfect sinners in need of a Savior. Humble ourselves, acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. Our good works, whatever that we try to do, whatever we try to achieve, is not good enough. None of us can ever take our money our family, whatever that we treasure in our life into the other world. None of that really matters. What matters is, have you trusted in Christ? Have you lived according to the word of God? And have you really loved God and loved your neighbor with all your heart? 
We got to do that and be a witness to this truth, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine you are in an elevator, right? It's a clear elevator, so you can see. And there is another uh, elevator uh, right next to you, the two right next to each other. And you notice that because it's clear, you can see everything, the, the rope, uh, the, the, the steel cord that's like holding that elevator, and there are a bunch of people. It's about to break loose, and they're going to plunge to the bottom, and they're going to all perish. When you see that, you say, well, it's not my business. I am on a secure elevator. I'm good. I'm saved. So tough luck on them. We just watch them, just like as they're trying to just go up and higher and higher, and then it's about to fall. The fall is going to be so destructive. Will we just, if you have a chance to tell them about this truth, are we going to just watch them? Say, okay, tough luck, good luck on you. Or should we say something? Be a witness. Be a witness to their, what's, what's about to happen to them. So it is my prayer for all of us. As we, you know, think about this aspect, I know it's just uh, not the most pleasant topic, but we cannot help but to be faithful to what the scripture tells us, that God is our ultimate judge and nothing will escape his attention, his heart. Nothing will escape him. May we live our lives in accordance and be, real, uh, be, uh, and be reminded because it's so easy for us to kind of get into the daily routine of doing things and forget about the fact that God is also our judge. We will be held accountable for everything that we have done every second of our life. May we just draw close to him and live according to his word. Let's pray. Um, Let's uh, take a moment to...